0: In today's conversation, I'll be speaking with Olga Solovieva about Yandex, the Russian Google, and technology, politics, censorship, and leadership. The founder of Yandex, Arkady Volosh condemns Russia's war in Ukraine. He's the second Russian business leader to go public with such criticisms, and especially from the critical technological sector. Yandex is a unique IT business which managed to stay afloat throughout the years of authoritarianism, and despite an occasional compromise with the state, maintained the reputation, or its reputation, as one of the most liberal companies in Russia to work for. Welcome to Silicon Curtain. All our content is also available on popular podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please like and subscribe to help new people find our fantastic speakers. And of course, if you enjoy the content, consider supporting us by becoming a patron or just buy me a coffee. That is a new facility which we have implemented onto the channel. Olga Solovieva is a social researcher with experience in higher education, business, and civil society organizations. Her areas of expertise include communication, technology, and society. She works on issues of data ethics, IT business regulation, and the relationship between the state and tech in Russia, and writes on these topics for academic, professional, and general audiences. Olga, I'm delighted to welcome you back to the channel for the second time.
1: Oh, thanks. Really great to be back and talk about Yandex a little.
0: Well, I know Yandex, we just touched on it briefly during our last conversation, but it's a critically huge topic to cover. And of course, you are one of the world's experts in this, uh, having worked on it, I believe, for your PhD.
1: I've spent my past three years working on a PhD around index, looking into their relationship with the state and the way how it's been developing. So I know quite a fair bit of the, com- the company's development history, and I also spoken for a for few people working in Yandex that uh, were formerly working in Yandex. And uh, yeah, obviously when I started, that was uh, a very interesting case itself, given the history of Yandex engaging in a political compromise with Kremlin. However, over the past two years, and the war with Ukraine, things escalated really quickly and we've seen the downfall of this resilient business which sustained this kind of apolitical you know beyond politics compromise with the kremlin trying to be outside of it but you know but at the same time quite close with it i mean it's working working its own path into nationalization at the moment and this is quite scary devastating and very disappointing for i believe every russian person altogether and people working in yandex from the very beginning
0: and arkady volosh has made quite a surprising uh, announcement uh, and announcement of the ukrainian conflict he's said that the conflict is is wrong illegal and so on um and there aren't that many Uh, oligarchs or tech leaders or let's face it, anyone in senior uh, business positions uh, within Russia who have made unambiguous statements like this. So who is Arkady Volosh? Where is he living? And what are his motivations for making this statement?
1: Arkady Volosh is the founder, uh, one of the co-founders, but basically he is the main person who's standing behind Yandex uh, who set it up back in 1990s. Uh, His He's born into a family who, which lived in Kazakhstan back in the Soviet Union. And uh, yeah, and he went to a very good uh, mathematical school where he met his uh, future co-founder of Yandex, Ilya Sigalovich, who, uh, yeah, who, who's deceased now, unfortunately, and he passed away back in 2014, which is devastating. And that they've been quite close friends together and have met later in their lives when Arkady was working on another IT business and was about to develop Yandex through the uh, program for indexing information online. Right. So that was his uh his history. He was basically an engineer, I was born in Kazakhstan, and uh, he was uh, raised and then came back to Moscow. He'd been leading the company from the very beginning. Uh, in 2014, indeed, probably linking it to the events in Ukraine, or in the, in, in the Crimea annexation, uh, he moved uh, partially his business and he started spending a lot of time in Israel, still remaining the CEO of the company, but slowly started passing his uh, duties of a CEO towards other emerging leaders in the company. So yeah, this is the the brief story of Arcadi Wallace. He's a very private person. And what is really interesting about him that he's not been around on media much. So if you would be looking for his interviews, you would have an occasional one. And most of them would be becoming in the first years before it became really tough and problematic for Yandex to operate within authoritarian landscape. And you know, the most of the criticism emerged. He've never been public about his position around Yandex and its relationship with the state, its compromises, uh, the problems around Yandex novelty and other hot stories emerging, uh, maintaining a very clear pro-business stance. So what I can tell about Arkady Walsh without actually meeting him, he is quite pragmatic. He's business oriented, but he's definitely very smart and very capable of building a business of international scale. And yeah, and he keeps really quiet. So he is the deep brain behind the organizational, operational processes of building a business. And his co-founder, Ilya Sikolovich, who is another key person uh, in the company, he was a little bit of the opposite of the personality. So he was very vocal. He was very open. He was very much driven by the values of uh, uh, his to develop and integrate them into the technology they produce and into the communication in the organization at Yandex So to drive its corporate culture. And Ilya Sigalovich, uh, before he uh, passed away, he was quite vocal about uh, Russia taking a liberal turn. He was seen at the protest. He would come to the office with a white ribbon and be quite uh, provocative in a way uh, regarding the issues going on in Russia and the protest back, like let's say, in 2011.
0: But of course, he passed away before some of the key events uh, that we see. There's Bolotnaya, which is really a, the major turn, both of authoritarianism in Russia, but also the challenges to the status quo and Putin's regime. That's where people started to have doubts about the sort of so-called so- hybrid autocracy. People started to realize that the elections really were rigged and um, you know, that, that that was the turn towards the sort of full 1984 scenario that we're seeing now. Uh, and then the invasion of Crimea. We don't know, of course, what his stance would have been on that. Um, did Arkady uh, you know, give any indications all through that time that he was, uh, that he had a political stance? Or did he try very hard to remain neutral and focus on his company's business?
1: That's the point. That's the point. So in all the interviews I've, I've went through looking at the public appearances of a uh, Yandex leadership, which include Al- Arkady Volish, which will focus on Helena Bonino, Tigran, who's the most recent CEO. I mean, now he's under sanction, so he's not technically a CEO, but, you know, still running the company uh, uh, from behind uh, of uh, the publicly available information. And uh, the, leaders of yandex would always maintain a neutral stance so they would stay beyond politics and this is you know very very common thing in russia i believe right so when you are approaching that level of superiority in the company and you have a very big responsibility you just make this deal so the Feedback about the upcoming political turbulent events will be very toned down and never will vocally criticise what's going on. So Arkady caydog would uphold to like you know basic universal values and saying that you know there are bad things and good things and then it's better to have a free internet and that it's better to do things the way democratic countries would expect us to do and it would be nice to provide the freedom of information. However, he would back it up. We are working in a very specific context, right? So Yandex would stand for everything which is good. However, we need to confine with the legislation in the country. And the most uh, explicit example of this is in an ongoing debate about Yandex Novosti and its algorithm, right? So Yandex Novasty was this big plugin on the Star page of Yandex search browser so when you go on Google you usually see just the Google and then you click and then you see what the day today is uh, what special occasion it is and Yandex you would have several plugins around the search line and one of them would be the top of the news I say top five top ten of the news appearing there and if you just you know a regular internet user you go online and you see what's going on I mean it's, it's, it's an interesting selection of the news to have, and it provides you with background and with an information what's important now. And originally, it was developed to just scan the internet and see what uh, content is the most popular, what has the most news, and then therefore, uh, to uh, show it and to uh, to to rank it from one to five. However, later on, since the uh, the Kremlin became interested in what's going on in the country. Uh, and in the internet as the information field, particularly, you know, intensifying over the time of Crimea annexation, a few visits had been made to Yandex leadership. And there've been a few conversation where public officials from Kremlin, they wanted to understand how the algorithm works and they were quite clear that we don't want the kind of stuff which contradicts the agenda of the Russian Federation and the interests of Russian Federation appearing at the web page, which is visited by millions of Russians daily. Mm-hmm. So that's been the first, you know, conversation 2011, 2010. Right. And from that on the pressure on Yandex has been growing and it's been applied in two ways. First one, of course, it's an informal way when there is this sort of conversation and then then there is, you know, um, well, according to one of the investigative journalists, the head of uh, Yandex News would have a special phone connected uh, to uh, the Kremlin people. So uh, this person would be able to receive the calls directly. But then- Like
0: Peskov, would that be like Peskov and his team? uh...
1: It It could be, so, you know, but it could be a number of people just, you know, being responsible to keep an eye on what's appearing there at the top pages. Uh, at the front page of Yandex. But at the same time, uh, you know, Russian legislators (laughs) they are very productive, especially in summer, especially when they want to pass on some ridiculous laws. Uh, And then the laws on aggregator uh, in 2016, I believe it was, being passed on, which would um, equate Uh, the news aggregator, such as Yandex, to the media, and then you have to obey all the rules and the regulations applying for that. So then over the time, Yandex had to remove from the list of indexing for this top of the news, remove all independent media, all oppositional media, of course. And then finally, the list through this set of formal and informal interaction was refined. So it would be only featuring pro-state content. And this is quite problematic. So back to Arkady Volozh. We have this wonderful context where the one of major news sources, very popular among ordinary Russians, is now being the tool of the censorship. And then Arkady Volozh is asked directly, like, so what's going on? Why do you do this? Why, why, why would you support this kind of thing? And uh, the response would be that we have to follow the law. We exist in the framework of the Russian law. And then, produced by the leadership, this explanatory framework becomes the common sense for all the Russians, and it becomes the common sense for all Yandex employees, right? And because you can't really do anything against this. We do have a repressive law in Russia, and we have to follow that.
0: And, of course, we know that many news sources, in fact, the only places where now you can get news sources that even come close to reporting in an objective fashion um either are being run from outside the country or they've had to move from an online format no, sorry an offline format to online format or have simply been shut down um like a uh, Nova Gazeta but you've also got Medusa, you've got dodged you've got sort of bloggers who existed for a while like valamov and others uh, you've got affiliated journalists like Michael Naki who've set up they're all basically now outside the country. Um, They are, Ukrainians might argue differently, but they are very concentrated forms of of, of news and commentary, um, often very good and actually high quality. Um, I wouldn't say they were politically activist, but they do comment sometimes quite uh, strongly on it. And they call a war a war. And this, you know, this is problematic. And it's not just about news sources. It's about terminology, isn't it? It's about certain even basic words that you cannot use. So how does this work with something like Yandex? Not only do they have to block certain sources, do they also have to look out for certain words like war as opposed to special military operation? And do they have to block those results on a sort of semantic level as well as on the level of individual sources?
1: That's pretty much the truth, uh, what you're talking about. Roskomnador is the regulatory body very powerful in Russia, the one who produces and uh, and initiates a lot of new legislation, but also keep a close eye on whatever is going on in the internet, uh, in the Russian segment of the internet, obliges Yandex as the provider of the uh, search engine and as the provider of certain type of uh, media resources. And here we need to make a note that all media assets such as uh, Yandex News, the aggregator of the news, and uh, Yandex Zen, the blogging platform, had been sold to VK, another, well, now uh, nationalized pretty much um, uh, media company, which has a number of assets, including VK and Edna the which are most popular social media uh, in the country, as well as gaming um, uh, assets. So uh after the invasion of uh, Ukraine, uh, the criticism became a little bit too much. And then the deal, uh, the sale uh, the of this assets has been escalated. So it's not the problem of Yandex. He, they get rid of uh, this toxic asset. However, Roskomnador used to and still keeps an eye on what is published online. And then Yandex will have to make sure that the information which appears online and in the search does not uh, cross with the restrictions of Roskomnadzor, So this is their legal obligation to clean the internet from the content which violates Russian legislation. So content removals are the regular part of the Yandex business. And if you will see, you know, what kind of search results appearing there, it's quite important. And... We understand that today no one can really go and check on all the information sources. We all do rely on these algorithms. we rely on search algorithms. We rely on the algorithms that create us uh, different prioritized content. And we hope that the recommendation systems actually work and they provide us with the results we really need. So when we want to see the truth we usually look at the first two pages of the search results on either Google or Yandex search. So here, with the uh, with the with the Roskomnadzor and their interest, and then their frequent requests for content removal, which come directly to Yandex, Yandex has to comply with most of them.
0: Mm. And do all those come from the state? Sorry to interrupt. Do all those come from the state, those requests? Or is there also a role for informants like Danossi, you know, people uh, flagging up things they don't like? Or is that, does that not play a role?
1: This could be a thing, yeah. I think this could be a thing. Then there is another. There is the right to be forgotten, for instance, and Yandex would uh, receive quite a number of removal um, requests from the people who just want to remove the information online. And again, so just to highlight the ambivalence and the uniqueness of Yandex as a business. Uh, Yandex has received quite a bit of requests for removing the content, you know, from Roskomnadzor and from people who just think that there is too much liberal stuff going on into agenda. Uh, So yes, it might not be the NOSU, but that could be, you know, just the users who flagging up the content, for instance, in Yandex Zen, uh, the content which would violate uh, the the law in uh, their view of the reality, and at the same time, Yandex tries to pretend independent media, for instance, when Yandex ZEN was launched and then MbH media appeared first, the Khodorkovsky media appeared, uh, they moved to this platform being banned everywhere else. So just, just finding it over there. They soon received the request from Roskomnadora to remove and to get rid of this media. However, they rejected this for the first time and yet had to comply a week later. So that was not a very strong and long thought, but uh, they've been attempting, there've been a number of attempts, especially driven by, you know, single individuals employed in the company who still have their own values. Uh, And it contributed to this dynamic uh, between the kremlin roscombe pressure and the kind of people who want and who believe in the power of technology and who want to do a good thing around it or at least not to give up that easily.
0: And uh, we'll come on to the special circumstances, because, of course, Russia is now at a full-scale war, and we'll we'll examine this idea of neutrality and whether that is even possible under these circumstances anymore. But let's turn to Arkady a bit more. Let's dig into the statement he's made, and, and I'd like to know how bold it actually is. But also, is he putting both himself and his company at risk of a more aggressive kind of takeover of the state? And I'm assuming here that he's not actually based in Russia, because... You know, the, uh, the uh, probability of having a, a, an open window related incident, I'm sure, is pretty high um, if you are criticizing the war itself.
1: The the statement was quite bold, and in the statement he does uh, denounce the uh, the 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 war and he condemns the war in Ukraine and saying that this is a terrible thing and he cannot support this. He also dwells into you know into an attempt to explain himself a little bit. Particularly, he's saying that. His statement might have come a bit too late and not very timely, which is the case, right? So you would not expect a business leader to go through a year and a half into the war in Ukraine conflict and whatever is going on, uh, while you know being unnoticed. And he says that he has his own personal reasons to do this, that. I think he, I mean, this is his statement. And I would not be surprised at all that there had been a direct pressure applied by the state officials on Arkady Volosh, Because, again, according to the investigative journalists, Arkady had tried to get rid of his media assets, the toxic assets, uh, for a while, and he wanted to do something around Yandex Novosti. He and his, of course, uh, top management who've been running this uh, resources. However, he was said no. He was told no. And I would not be surprised if he was somehow intimidated or there is another way of uh, uh, gaining conflicting interests, which didn't let him to go vocal a bit earlier. However, at the same time, I believe that Arkady Volish is a very pragmatic person and uh, Again, looking at the story of Yandex and how its products been developing in Yandex, we need to acknowledge this. They have the whole range of fantastic services. So from the search engine to this blogging platform to ride sharing, Uh, services and car sharing services, delivery services, self-driving cars, and cloud solutions. So this is the whole range of different things which are being produced, and it brings massive pride uh, in the domestic product, but at the same time, a massive convenience for people living in Russia. And with this range of things going on, I believe Kadi was facing the dilemma to continue doing the good things and occasionally compromising something or just to put it all on stake and then get rid of this and lose his business. And the background thing is money. It's going there. And if you look at the chart of Yandex financial performance, you will see a strikingly high results with occasional dips, you know, from time to time, usually uh, coming along with some bold statements from Russian authorities trying to put another legislative pressure on Yandex and make them do their own thing. Uh, They're share prices would drop a little bit, but then Yandex would recover. And the majority of services which brought uh, financial stability to Yandex, they were not political. Well, I mean, at least at the very superficial level, they were not political. That would be a Yandex taxi, for instance, that would be you know the main uh, driver of the profit. So I think that in his, again, this is a big speculation, in his picture, there was the potential of the company and the development of services and the context of authoritarianism, which goes quite slowly into a very tight area. But this is the dynamics of the people living in an authoritarian regime. You got used to it. And then you invent yourself and then you reinvent yourself and then you reinvent your business under the circumstances because this is what you have to deal with, right? And that was the logic most likely. And again, even thinking about that, he relocated himself and his family to Israel and he started starting his new thing over there. So probably he could sense the severity of the impact that this collaboration with Yandex is having on his business, on his reputation, and on the future of the company. Well, could have been a bit faster, could he have been thinking about it in a bit bold way, or could they at least have been thinking about launching Yandex Zen well after Crimea annexation and understanding the censorship laws which already are imposed in the country yes i believe that would be the the the, the biggest ethical kind of violation which i can acknowledge when you're looking at the interviews of two top uh, managers of Yandex Zen in 2018 to the bell one of the independent russian media where they're saying that they are building the television of the future in this country. So 2018, you cannot build the television of the future. Television is the terrible thing in Russia. This is the machine of propaganda. So probably if their technological decisions and leadership decisions have been focused on some other things, Yandex would exist for a little bit longer. So you think
0: he's prioritized safeguarding his financial assets potentially he's prioritized maybe moving or offshoring some of his activities so that if the russian state and this is very speculative that if the russian state were to confiscate his business he's managed to you know establish himself and other operations enough so that he wouldn't be uh, dare I say, impoverished by it. Now, there are some examples of this, aren't there? I mean, the examples of Kordohovsky having his uh, UCOS business stolen, he, he obviously lost most of that, managed to get some of those assets uh, abroad because uh, he's still, you know, investing heavily, as you say, in media and oppositional activities. Um, you have Evgeny Chitvarkin, his Everset, which also was confiscated in, in, in extremely, uh, I would say, uh, financially negative circumstances for him. But again, he managed to get some assets out enough to provide the seed capital for new businesses uh, abroad. Um, there are plenty of examples of this. So Arkady must have, have planned that by looking at what has almost inevitably happened to other people's businesses. The moment they start speaking about about the Kremlin, it's guaranteed pretty much that your business will be taken and probably handed to some um, dare I say it, sort of compliant friend of the regime?
1: This is the question. I don't know why it wasn't done earlier and understanding that Arkady volosh is a smart manager, is a very thoughtful leader and he can plan way ahead. Uh, the what we've seen over the past year and a half since our cardiology has been sanctioned, sanctioned by the EU and I believe by the US as well, but I might be wrong. So And he had to step down from uh, the uh, leadership of uh, Yandex and then they started preparing the deal of separating international and Russian assets in Yandex. So that was a big divorce. And for a year and a half, I believe uh, the tech specialists are still trying to separate the technological stack of products because they're just so interrelated. And uh, unfortunately, we don't know yet whether the deal has been confirmed because the number of people who can be the buyers of the Russian part of Yandex, are also under sanctions. So the list has been shortened drastically. So I believe it's still in the process of negotiation. But then the statement of Arkady Volosh might be the identificator of the move towards more progressive state of the affairs uh, around this. So probably they've decided on something and then he could go that bold. And then he can finally he probably got you know the chunk of money, but we 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 don't know, and I hope that some of this information would become public. For me, what was missing from that statement is exactly the following: is the way how a leader of the company which he was running for 20 years, engaging in multiple compromises with the senior Kremlin officials, condemning this war, making this statement, I would expect him to explain what is happening, why the behaviour was just like that, and what is he planning to do to... Well, to contribute back to the society for all the wrongdoing, which was conducted under his leadership, and whether he sees this as a wrongdoing. So it would be nice just to have his perspective on the matter of things to understand why things been done in this way and not in the other.
0: Well, let's dig into that because over 20 years, we, we know to an extent how the uh, regime works. Um, if a company like Yandex has data about people's search history, and there can be a lot of significant information in that search history, it can show not just you know where you buy stuff and what you buy, it can show your political affiliations, what you're interested in, what news you consume. And you know if you are doing this not via a VPN, Or or even with a VPN, it may be that Yandex has some fairly interesting information, uh, which the FSB might find quite useful. And in the circumstances of a full scale war, um, the conscription office uh, might find quite useful when it's trying to track down individuals to get them to join the army. So we also know that a whole number of uh, laws have been introduced in the last couple of weeks alone around uh, electronic conscription and sort of sending people details and, uh, you know, ensuring that um, that they get called up for the army. Is it, is it because potentially of this sort of increasing demands of the state and intrusiveness into digital data? Um, is a company like Yandex even viable in these circumstances or the concept of neutrality? Does it have any meaning anymore?
1: Too many things in one question, Jonathan. So, if the first, the first beat is the data, personal data is the newest obsession of Kremlin. And, uh, I mean, not, not, it's been there for a while, and it's even personal obsession with of Vladimir Putin, as was discussed briefly before. the started recording this podcast, he's been focusing on digital superiority of Russia and using personal data, monetizing on personal data and seeing in trend with all the Western thinkers uh, the personal data as the new oil. And of course, outside from this monetization principles, which is still quite a big thing, the FSB has its interest in uh, trying to Uh, persuade people to do things they want and obtaining this personal data to achieve their own goals. And for that matter, the number of data handovers has been quite uh, dramatic uh, in Russia, and Yandex have received quite a few of this. What an interesting thing is that this is the data handover and data requests. They are very common, and all the countries, they have them, right? So you need to have usually the decision of the court, to uh, ask for this data, to request this data from a digital company, and then they will have to provide it to you uh, if they find this in accordance with the legislation of this company. And it helps a huge deal. It helps to solve crimes. It helps to know where people have been. It helps to dig into some cybersecurity issues and stuff like that. It is helpful. In the context of Russia, this could be also used for the worse. Right, and uh, I mean it could have been a traffic accident, and then your personal data will help you to identify that you've been here in the place. But it, it could have been, you know, you could have been on the protest, and then your personal data will help you to be identified as the one of participants of this protest, and then you receive a fine for joining the process of the protest, which has not been approved by the authorities. And this is a totally different story. So Yandex did receive. A number of such requests, and they've been handing them over to the government because, again, they have to work in accordance with the Russian legislation. And the Russian law, uh, with the law on sovereign internet and Yarovaya law, has been creating the infrastructural obligations for storing this data for a long time and then handing over this kind of data in under an easier uh, procedural way. However, to talk about Yandex, they've been the first and the only company in the country which issued what's called transparency reports. Absolutely voluntary thing to do, where they openly published uh, for, each, for each, I don't know, four months. Each four months, they would update the number of data requests and the number of data requests, data handover requests which have been satisfied based on their statistics so at least they went public with this data and i believe that that was a very big step forward first in terms of virtue signaling right look at us it's not us that's that's fsb they coming to us with their stupid data requests and then we have to do it but we don't give them too much we try to leave as much as possible for us until you know so we don't we don't bring them uh, this data voluntarily And uh, yeah, so, and at the same time, it helped to encourage civil society to do something about this, right? Uh, However, in 2022, these transparency reports have been not published uh, anymore. I believe that there have been some uh, difficulty in uh, taking this project on, and that was very disappointing for me to find out. So with the issues of data, Yandex is the holder, of a lot of data and is responsible for storing this data. They've been trying to resist the state in going too far, but they can't do too much if there would be a very pushy request from the FSB to have this. And at the same time, there is international business of Yandex, right? And that was um, the recent investigation published in Medusa, the recent report by the journalists about the Russian business and uh, foreign business of Yandex. And apparently FSB wants to have this access to data uh, constantly now and try to make it a legal route to to have it from the Russian businesses, so obliging Yandex uh, to provide with this data. Uh, However, uh, the businesses located in Europe they fall under GDPR protection, which directly forbids. And then we have this conflict of interest. And there is the question to Yandex, how are they going to separate this data? Because this data appears under one account. So for instance, if I first took a taxi from Moscow, uh, just to go somewhere uh, to the Red Square, and then I traveled to Paris and decided to take a taxi uh, in Paris or in Finland or whatever Yandex is, Yandex Taxi is present, the data of my location will be stored still on the Russian server. And apparently they have to hand it over to FSB, but it will violate the GDPR
0: rule. Mm.
1: So here is an intricate um, ethical and technological problem to be solved further on.
0: But that, that's actually an extraordinary insight there, which uh, I hadn't quite sort of even twigged there, because you talked earlier about these Businesses which are nominally considered neutral. So that could be food delivery. That could be taxi services. uh, could be entertainment, you know, watching movies and so on. These things are nominally neutral. But when the state starts trying to track you down based on your digital footprint, because it wants you to conscript you for a genocidal war, suddenly there there is no neutrality. And every little scrap of digital data um, is is either potentially uh, it has to be hidden from the state, which which violates the law or suddenly becomes complicit in this entire authoritarian uh, aggressive machine.
1: Absolutely. And I don't have an answer to that. And uh, this is a big question. And I'm looking at Yandex. Yandex has been quite unlucky to. Emerge from this unhealthy context and been developing in this unhealthy context. And probably the organization has to be more resilient and focused on its uh, values and uphold to the major obligations and responsibilities which come to you when you are the technology provider. Technology is an interesting field. It comes before the regulation appears. It makes such a change. We have no clue how it's gonna impact us. All this discussion about artificial intelligence and stuff like that, right? So we don't know what are the consequences. And as I've been looking at Yandex and its services, one of the most fascinating thing was the best thing Yandex ever done. And it comes with the IT and tech education. So mathematical education and computer science education And the programs they've been voluntarily providing opportunities for people and for children from very. underprivileged backgrounds to have a degree, to have the knowledge, to become programmers, right? And then they're growing this new generations of Kulibins all across from Moscow to Khabarovsk. And they come in a very, very deprived, socially deprived areas. And then they have their chance to go and travel to Moscow, to travel to other major Russian cities and to have their career. And you think about it as a very good thing, which has nothing to do with politics. However, once you don't integrate, the special values into the curricula and when you're just teaching technology and nothing else you will have this new generation of programmers and it leaders who do not have anything behind them and then they can work for yandex but they also can work for Skolkova, they can work for rostec and RosTech we know is explicitly engaging with the military uh, technology development And then you have these people and you empower these people. Is this an intended or unintended consequences, right? So it's unintended, of course, but it is there. The same thing with their uh, food delivery services, with the food delivery services, which is fantastic. I mean, this is the most convenient thing you have. You wake up there and you want a pizza and you have it in 10 minutes. You want your groceries delivered in 15 minutes. They are there. And at the same time, the whole supply chain and the whole technological process behind this food delivery, which benefits the uh, middle class. Uh, it had to be powered by the people. But the people from underprivileged backgrounds, again, who have to work for very little money. And they have to drive these taxi cars and they have to deliver your food. And Yandex encourages this. And Yandex exploits. I mean, they build the technology which helps them to monetize and to support their business and to develop cloud solutions and self-driving cars. But the money and the resources they are coming from the people who are working really hard to meet their ends. And it is not fair, first of all. But at the same time, it contributes to social inequality. And this is also a very political thing. And then the last, but not the least, Yandex bought Kino Polsk, and they've been showing Sluha Road, the rest of the servants of the people, the, the uh, TV show with uh, uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, being an actor there. And they've been having this uh, show, Last Minister, Последний Minister, which is a brilliant show, which is a political satire, right? But at some point, they will have to negotiate like every, every piece of art shown in Russia coming under the criticism and under the censorship, they will have to negotiate in which way they're gonna show these videos or not. So, and even the entertainment service becomes political. So you have the whole stack of things and they are amazing, but they have consequences and even a self-driving car i mean vladimir putin would be very happy to come you know to to his audiences and in his another annual presidential address to federal assembly to brag about you know the greatness of the country which has self-driving cars running in yasiniva
0: so uh, that's an interesting question and we we're almost out of time but there are there's so many areas I can dig into, but let's let's concentrate on the specifics there. I mean, also these high tech businesses, which have created extraordinary infrastructure, have tried to 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 create the sort of innovation that you see in Silicon Valley and so on, and that same kind of culture and innovation. They're bringing people from poorer backgrounds, as you say, so that's ostensibly good if you invest in these people, but also. Even if these people have some political awareness, they may not want to challenge it because they know where they've come from. They don't want to go back to those impoverished backgrounds. So you're creating a whole, uh, if I understood this correctly, a whole sort of uh, set of highly uh, educated engineer class. What is disturbing as well? And that that that's a good thing, nominally, as you say. But what we're also finding out is that Russia is now getting vast, vast supplies of drones. And drones, extremely high-tech equipment, which are being used to target and attack um, not the Shahids, not only the Shahids, which are attacking uh, Ukrainian infrastructure. There are now uh, talk of massive amounts of drones being used on the front line in the south and the east. Now, these require servers. They require operators. They require technological infrastructure, which perhaps the Russian army would not have had previously. So they must also be calling upon these huge numbers of engineers who've been trained up by the Russian tech industry, civilian tech industry. And I can only imagine, you know, many of those will now be uh, on the front. Um, probably is better for them to be a tech operator than than, than being used right on the front lines to you know, charge um uh, and, and, and uh, you know, the mortality rate is going to be appalling if you're a frontline soldier and tech operator is going to be preferential as individuals. But you also then, therefore, can make this connection that the Russian tech sector is powering uh, this high-tech aggression at the same time indirectly.
1: So it's difficult to say because I do not have an insight in exact, you know, backgrounds of people who are coming there. What I know for sure are that the Russian IT uh Human resources are great and people have a benefit of a very strong mathematical school school of mathematics which have been like inherited from the Soviet Union, which lays the grounds for the further development. And at the same time, there is the social problem I think and the problem of integration of Russia into the world society right And if we not just pose this question in the terms of what is good and what is bad, from our own perspective because we know how the technology is being used but if we put ourselves in the place of a person who's coming from underprivileged background finally getting their salary uh, finally getting their place in life and not actually being capable of writing communicating in english not being uh, provided with any opportunities or any interest to be fair for international integration they have their country and they have their country which might be engaged in something which is wrong, but uh, they do have professional opportunities uh, to be developing there, right? And this is what they do. So they there is a lot of potential, but then there is no awareness about either the consequences or about the alternatives. And I believe the lack of alternatives, it would influence the way how your ethical values are set and how your boundaries for decision-making are set. And for this matter, I believe the role of leaders in IT companies is exceptionally important. And I believe that this is the role which Yandex failed with going apolitical because Yandex um, quite mindfully imposed this we are beyond politics framework and vision and the leaders were projecting this policy. Right. Not the policy of their sense, their vision, but it eventually it's going to be picked up by less senior employees. And despite there have been quite a few very prominent uh, managers in the index who've been vocal and went against the war and who've been leaving the country and who've been leaving the company, and been very critical. The majority of the people, they have to deal with the daily problems. They have their work and they have their growing team of very different people coming from very different backgrounds. Not necessarily they'll have to be liberal Russians. They can be just apolitical Russians themselves. So when their leadership is apolitical, there is no incentive and then there is no room for the political discussion. And effectively what was happening is the depolitization of the company. And with the depolitization of the company, you have these values evaporated. And with this values evaporated, you can't expect people to make ethical decisions based on political judgments because there is no room for it. So this is why I think it is very important to talk about the responsibility of people doing technology because it's technology. It has such vast impacts in all the spheres of life. And you have to be responsible for embedding the values in the technology, in the development of your organizational procedures, communication. And I don't ask this for being overall very political, but at least, I don't know, triggering some critical thinking, intelligent um, opinions. And it's it's not the problem of Yandex only. This I was is about also- to say
0: that, isn't it? I mean, I was going to make that point towards the end because I know the comments would go like, oh, you're always having a go at Russia, but what about um, uh, Google, uh, Microsoft, many other companies will self-censure their results uh, if they are operating in other authoritarian regimes, of which Russia is not the only one in the world. They have operations around the world. I mean, famously, Google, um, you know, in China uh, as as, as withdrawn its operations because it just found uh, they were too onerous. The requirements there. But there's a lot of self-censorship that goes on. And that's that's wrong, entirely wrong.
1: It is entirely wrong, and we still are to think about the solution to this problem. And you know that I don't have much of the opinion about tech leaders of these big tech companies who capitalize on the worst things in humans and try to monetize on that, and being a bit overpaid as well. So I I, I think that uh, bringing back uh, the dilemma. Uh, in pursuing the profit and the extent to which you're pursuing the profit and then granting the basic freedoms for people. And this is something which is put through the United Nations Declaration on Information. Right, So there is the freedom of information, there is a freedom of expression, there are fundamental human rights. I believe if we could expand the discussion on human rights and empower civil society and dog watchers to take a on the company's deeds elsewhere. Microsoft, not good. Facebook, terrible. Facebook, absolute meta. Oh, no, Mark Zuckerberg, if you've seen me, you know, in real life, I would have a very long conversation with you, sir. And uh, th- th- there is a big, a big, important, like, you know, urgent issue to be solved. But it's not also the only problem of tech. The same thing is happening with Brexit in the UK, where there is this political division, uh, might cause the internal pressure in the company so it would just explode so people would try to minimize and they would not discuss the consequences of brexit right and not discussing the consequences of brexit it's also traumatic because you need to, to to go through this to have the discussion and to to clear your mind and people might have different opinions but there are uh, direct consequences of this you can't accept the fact that you know it just happened and we just moving on so and more room for for a discussion uh not much of a solution i'm afraid
0: now there's definitely more angles there to to pursue um but uh, Olga, this has been absolutely fascinating. You know uh, that I'm uh, deeply interested in technology and especially digital technology. So this for me is a, is, is an incredibly absorbing uh, conversation. I hope the audience finds it so as well. And I wanted to thank you again for your time. We will put uh, some links in there to your articles on this topic, especially. We'll pop those into the description of the video, um, and people can ask further questions in the comments um, so we can keep this debate going. Olga, thank you so much.
1: So much, Jonathan. I hope one day we'll manage to save the world.